I'm good. And I'm Gamgoon, and this is the Good Game Podcast. A retrospective on recent events in the gaming industry. Today, folks, we're going to begin by taking a moment to talk about the newly revealed PlayStation 5 controller. There are some very interesting features and honestly some very simple interesting design changes to it that I, I personally thought were kind of great decisions on Sony's part. Of course, we won't know until we actually get our hands on it how it actually feels. But uh, there are some very, very cool new potential features that they're talking about. Things like an adaptive R2-L2 trigger. Now, according to what they're saying, this is, this is the best I can understand of it. The developers of games are going to be able to control the amount of tension in those triggers so that they should feel more reactive if you're doing something in game like pulling back a bow or if you're pulling a trigger on a gun. Essentially, it should give you a little bit more uh, physical feedback. That that sounds about right to what they're saying, right, Game Goon? Yeah, uh, I think the four in the current Xbox controller have the adaptive triggers, where basically instead of being a full all the way press, depending on game input, you can have to wear just a half press or lightly press for the desired in-game reaction. Interesting. So they they made it sound like it 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 literally is more refined than that this time. So I'm hoping that that's what they did. Like maybe they gave people like a percentage they can program in. So it, it is that fine tuning. Uh, that would be kind of cool, I think, for sure. I mean, obviously, that's one of those things we're not going to see until the, the thing actually releases. And it's another one of those features where it's like it sounds really cool, but it's only going to matter if the developers actually take advantage of it. Like the the touchpad thing, everybody was like, oh, or well, not everybody, but Sony was like, oh, this is the wave of the future. And then nobody actually really took advantage of it. And the few people that tried to, it ended up being more of a hindrance, I feel like, than a benefit. Oh, well, it just kind of depends on the different type of game it is and whether they actually need to use it for their computer, their type of game. Not a lot of games really will, I guess, have a use for adaptive LRE2. Like, uh, the only game I could think off the top of my head that would probably use it is, I guess, driving games could be used to kind of how much you're putting down the throttle or how hard you're hitting the brake and stuff like that. But yeah, it really depends on what the type of game and the input you're trying to get from the controller. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Some of the other cool features, though, that they did talk about, this is honestly the one that I'm most excited about because, frankly, the built-in PlayStation headsets or the ones that you can get relatively cheap all suck anyway. The mic is now going to be built into your controller. There's even a little mute button there. So instead of you having to go out, purchase another headset or even, you know, using the one that comes with it that's kind of janky, you can legitimately just use the controller as a microphone. That has me really excited for the multiplayer side of it. Uh, I, I think that's a, a huge step forward. How do you feel about it, Game Good? I think it's a huge step back. That's just going to be terrible. Doesn't have more people with open mics on their controller just breathing into it and not really using it properly. You know what? I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but there's another thing to consider here. Like, if people button mash, is their microphone just going to go ape crap at that point? Or... Or what? And it makes me think that they've got to... And, like, Sony, they, they had a real focus on sound for for the PS5. There's a lot of stuff they've talked about that was very sound-oriented, uh, like surround sound things. So I wonder if what they'll do is that, by default, the microphone on the controller will have, like, a noise-gating feature where it kind of detects the room-level noise and then basically bleats out anything below that. Well, I guess they could have to do something like that because there's not, like... 
they can't really add a push to talk button on the game because generally all the game buttons will probably be used for whatever game you're using. So we have to kind of have a noise gate voice activation setting, which probably would be, depending on how good it, the mic is built into it, it could be well, but I think it's just going to be bad like how most games now with voice active, there's always that one guy who just has his mic open for no reason and just breathing into it. Oh my god, I wanted to do an impression there, but I didn't want to drive away all of our listeners by doing it. But you guys know who he's talking about, because I know who he's talking about. Uh, but you know what, they do have that mute button for the mic, so they could use that as a push to talk too, which would be interesting, but also weird, because at that point, like, you're now having to take one of your thumbs off of the buttons or the sticks to push that to talk which is not super convenient. I think noise gating is the only way that that actually works. I'm still excited for it, though, because I think that noise gating is actually really simple. And if they have like a setup thing that takes you through setting up a noise gate, most people will be OK. Obviously, there'll be problems if somebody's noise level changes, which is the, I think that's the real issue you're going to run into. It's not the guy whose mic is open all the time. It's the guy who did his sound settings and is now running his fucking sync in the background. <laughs> Whatever, this is not my YouTube channel, I can swear a little bit. Um, and is running his sync in the background, driving everybody crazy. That's going to be the real, real problem there. Uh, how do you feel about the, the changes they made to the touchpad? They, they seem to have repositioned it a little bit. Uh, I don't think they've changed it too much. I think it's kind of basically in the same general area. You know, the controller's slightly bigger, but I think it's basically in the same position. What do you mean it's in a different position? So what I noticed about it is the they moved the LED bar that shows that the controller is on to around the edges of the touchpad. And if you actually look at like the side view, it seems like that area is now recessed. So the touchpad is actually popped up a little more than it used to be. And I think what that's going to do is the games that do use like the touchpad click, you'll get a more visceral physical click feel from actually clicking it now. And you'll actually like I think that's going to feel a lot better than clicking the old one did, because with the old one, when you clicked it, you didn't get that much physical feedback because it wasn't a huge click. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know what you mean. I haven't had a PS in a couple of years, but I can I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. OK, yeah. It, it's like the difference between like clicking a mouse button and clicking a mouse wheel. Yeah. Where you get that much bigger depression when you click the mouse wheel on most mice than when you just click a mouse button. Yeah, uh, well, we'll see once we get our hands on it and it comes out. One thing I do like is I think the color scheme for the new controller is pretty nice. It looks, I like the new design. I know there's people kind of complaining about the new kind of base colors, but the way it's looking now, it seems like there's a lot of way for custom designs to kind of be your, if they do the same kind of same thing that Xbox did with their controller, where you can make your custom controllers, or custom colors and stuff. I think there'd be a lot of good kind of custom designs. You saying for people that to actually sure like gave me a different point of view. Okay, so so here's the thing. I love the new color scheme. I think that going with a a white and a black actually makes the controller pop a lot more. It has more contrast to it. I I feel like it's a lot less muted. It's a braver color choice, and I really enjoy that from a design perspective. Because like I mean, you may not remember this, but I do have a, a degree in graphic design, so stuff like that sticks out to me. And I, I love it. I love the way that they move the light bar for this so that the LEDs are on the side of the touchpad, which gives that a little bit of distinction visually. Uh, the thing that throws me now is like, do we really need to customize our PlayStation controllers, folks? 
Is this not just a way for, for corporate America to basically extort you for more money for what is functionally no difference? Well, I don't know about PlayStation, but for Xbox to do a custom controller is the same price as any other normal controller. So there's no price increase for it. But I guess it could be a little bit more money for PlayStation. Okay, I thought we were talking about like distinct wraps for it, where like it has designs on it for your favorite game or something like that. Because you know people would buy that crap nonstop. But at the same time, it's one of those things that I'm like, God, do we really need this more? It's essentially microtransactions on hardware. Come on. Oh. Uh, uh, but it doesn't sound like that's the way they're going. Well, I don't know how they're going to do, but just talking about in relation to Xbox, is you can just basically for Xbox, you could maybe. If we were looking at the PS5, you could change the white to a different color or the black to a different color and even change the color of your buttons if you wanted to. And it's basically the same price as if you just bought a basic stock controller for Xbox. I don't know how a PS5 would do it if they do allow, they do a custom controller for that or not. That is actually kind of awesome. So you're saying I could have a good branded PlayStation 5 controller. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if Xbox does that, PS5 may do that. Okay, that, that's a fair point. You're not saying that. But if they did have the customization, that'd be the kind of customization we were looking at. And I'm all for that, guys. I customize everything in the good colors. Like, it's just my thing now. Like, I'm sure at some point I'll drive my fiance crazy with that. I will. but. As of right now, everything gets the gold and black treatment. Uh, other than that, the the one other thing that I noticed about the PlayStation 5 controller that I'm actually a big fan of is that it seems slightly bigger. Like the PlayStation 4 controller was also already a little bit bigger than the, the previous iterations of the controller. And I have big hands, so it, it fit quite nicely. I actually really like it. But just having that slight size increase, I think, is going to make it sit a little bit better in my extra large paws. Yeah, definitely increase slight increase in size. Definitely should make it feel a little bit, I guess, more natural in your hands. And won't probably as long as the buttons are still roughly in the same place and there's no too much like getting used to like hitting stuff awkwardly, it shouldn't negatively impact the gameplay or feel of the controller. Yeah, well, I guess they also change like some of the angles of the, the buttons and things too to make the, the gameplay more organic. So I'm I'm excited to see just how it feels when you're holding it, which is one of those things that we obviously won't get to do until we're physically holding it. Uh, but I, I'm actually excited to see how that feels. That being said, I'm not a huge console gamer anyway, though, folks. So like the reality is PlayStation 5 is going to get me based on their their exclusives because that's all the consoles have over me right now is exclusives. Like, the only reason I have a PS4 is because Bloodborne was on PS4. Uh, so, you know, they, they won't have that considering that From's not doing any more... Well, I mean, they could do a Bloodborne. They're not doing any more Dark Souls. But if they get Bloodborne 2, I'm all up on that PS5 right there. Uh, so, Sony, you heard it here first. Sign Bloodborne 2. Get it. Uh, okay, so, so moving past new hardware, let's talk about new games that went into beta this week. Uh, speaking of which, folks... Oh, I, I guess it doesn't make sense to say that. But anyways... Valorant beta went live this week. I've got access. Uh, Game Goon, you've got access. Tell me what you think so far. Uh, the game's interesting. The I think um, gameplay is fun. I've I never really played CS:GO before, but I kind of played uh, Search and Destroy in uh, previous Call of Duty, so I'm used to kind of the gameplay flow. The kind of characters and abilities seem good. They kind of interact well together. The guns, I'm still trying out trying out all the different guns, but the guns feel all right. Maps are nice. It's it's a decent game. Okay, so speaking of guns, don't laugh at me, Game Goon. Don't laugh at me, folks at home. 
I emptied a clip from the most expensive shotgun into the game in the game directly at someone and managed to miss them with every shot. That's how bad I am. No, it's a shotgun. Were you point blank or were you shooting at range? No, I was I was pretty close. I was maybe five feet. It it was just bad. It was just bad. Uh so <laughs> I'm just bad, in case you're all wondering. My name is good, but I'm really bad. Anyways. That being said, um, I, I've played CSGO in the past. I had a friend buy it for me, so I'd play it with them, and I hated it. I hated CSGO with a passion uh, because, to me, it just felt really broke down. Like, you don't have a sprint in it. There's just really no mechanical depth to it. It's mainly just put the trigger over the thing, shoot. Um, and, and that's why people like it is because it's entirely skill-oriented. There is no mechanics to get in the way of skill, but that's dependent on your perspective on whether or not mechanics are getting in the way of skill or mechanics are adding to skill. I feel like they add to skill. Um, so for me, Valorant, I, I went in not expecting to like it because I didn't like CSGO and it's a tactical shooter. But Valorant is really, really enjoyable. And it's really enjoyable because it combines some of my favorite things about games like League of Legends and games like Overwatch or Paladins into that tactical shooter formula. And it just, oh, it just, it's like a masterpiece. Like they got the right blend here and it works really, really well. Uh, so let's talk about some of the things that make it work really, really well. How do you feel about map control and vision and how central that is to the gameplay in Valorant? Uh, I've played a couple games, and so I don't have, like, it all be all on it yet. But uh, it's, like, basically, like, every character generally has a kind of smoke screen or kind of vision control ability that you purchase in their part of the, eco part of the economy. And... You gotta use it to break onto the points. You need to block smoke, block vision, or make a diversion here. And it just kinda adds to the ability of what you can do to try and get from point A to point or try to get from the starting spawn to one of the points to plant the spike and defend it to it blows up. Yeah, exactly. Like that that to me is my favorite part so far, because like once again, one of the areas where CSGO lacks mechanics is they they don't have that much depth of of con of mechanics for vision control. Like vision control is primarily using corners and things like that. And sure, that takes skill. Cool. I get it. CSGO players, you love the skill of peeking around corners. I love the skill of strategy. So for me, being able to start the round and place my smoke screen strategically and know that I've now funneled the enemies to a certain location and I can try to go after them there. Or alternatively, I can sit on the other side of my smoke screen and wait for the person who thinks they're going to be cunning and breach it, which... Like, I can't even tell you how many times I've done the cat and mouse thing of put the smoke screen down. Okay, nobody's coming through. I guess I'll start moving. And as soon as I do, somebody comes through and shoots me. Um, so <laughs> there's this amazing element of vision control to the map that I think is phenomenal. And it really, really makes the game enjoyable for me as a, a player. And the thing that I've really noticed is that you have squads of like four players, roughly. So what ends up happening is you can maybe control vision on two entries to the points or three, or maybe even four, if you all coordinate together perfectly, but you can't control all of the entries. So we had quite a few games where like they would block two entrances to the, the target locations, and we would just go to the only open target location because they were literally trying to camp on the other side of their vision. And we would just go to the other one, land there, drop our spike, put our own vision up, and now we, the attackers, were playing defense while the defenders were forced to breach us and had some really, really interesting, fun gameplay emerge from that. So I think that, that that mixture has been precise and kind of perfect. It is just a beautiful melding 
of the tactical shooter and the hero shooter for me. Well, it's 5v5, just to kind of correct you on that part. It's 5v5. But yeah, definitely people, I guess it's kind of, we're, since we don't play it a lot, we're probably at the lower MMR bracket for it. But that's something people need to learn to use that. As since it's a, at most, 28-round game, you got to learn to adapt and not do the same strategy every time. And to know that as you're in each game, each round, you got to decide, okay, I did this three past three rounds. Do I want to do it again or do I need to change it up and try and do something different? Because it's not going to work. As you notice, for you saying that you were able to, they did the same thing. You just went to, they had this one weak point you just explored it. One, um, one thing I want to ask you about, because I don't know about it mechanically in um, CSGO, but in CSGO, if you plant the bomb... And like, say you don't kill everyone, but you the, the attacking team plant the bomb, and the bomb goes off. Does it kill the attackers that are near the bomb? I I don't think it matters. I so we had a people in one of my games. Okay, first of all, I got the team count wrong because I've only been able to play a couple of games because my fiance has absolutely hijacked my account to play this because she loves it too. Just putting that out there, first of all. But second of all, yeah. So we had a round where I set the bomb, and then we took defensive positions. And basically, we killed everybody but one person on their team, and they turned around and went to defuse it, and they didn't defuse it in time, so the bomb goes off and we win the round. I don't know if it actually blew them up, but we did, in fact, win the round, and I think it blew them up. So, I mean, like, the reality is... No, I'm asking about in CSGO, because in Valorant, if you're the attacking team, like, you have the bomb, and you plant the bomb, and the bomb goes off, if you're too close to the bomb, it will kill you still. Even if you win the round, it kills you which is basically the same as dying if you get killed. So you lose your items and stuff if you stay too close to the bomb and the bomb goes off, which I don't know how that goes in CSGO, but that's kind of like I get it's the bomb, whatever, but seeing as we're supposed to defend it to stop the defenders from defusing it, generally you kind of stray in close proximity to it. So it's kind of a negative gameplay loop that it goes off and kills you and you lose all your stuff. See, I haven't experienced that, but no, that does not happen in CSGO. In CSGO, you can literally stand on top of your bomb and you're fine, uh, which, you know, isn't necessarily realistic. And it does add some interest to the tactics, because if you do have to blitz somebody at the last minute because they're defusing, even if you get the kill, if you don't have time to get out, you pay for it, which is kind of interesting. I don't know how that'll pan out in the long term, but it is kind of an interesting thing to try, I suppose. Uh, you know, one thing that CSGO doesn't have that Valorant has, and this was another thing that I was blown away by and was like, this is a much better gameplay loop. Uh, you can ping the map when you're dead. So in Valorant, when I die, the first thing I do is I crack open my map and I ping my team caution where I went down so that they know where the enemy player that killed me is at. And more times than not, I've had my team follow up after that and manage to kill them and then swing the round in our favor. And you can keep the map up and you can keep pinging if you just watch the map. So even when you die, you're able to play a tactical role for your team instead of just sitting there waiting for the round to end and not being able to do anything. That sounds good. One thing I would say, like, um, I just kind of touching on the tutorial. I feel like the tutorial is decent for t teaching you, like, the bare bones things. But, like, I didn't know there was pinging until I looked it up and you were telling me about it. Also, I had trouble figuring out how to drop things until I went to go look at the controls to figure out. Because I won a couple times, I accidentally picked up the spike. And I didn't know how to drop it because I didn't mean to pick it up. And so, it does. I guess people who normally play CSGO and, like, these kind of games probably know to just, I guess I should have looked at controls anyway. But 
it didn't tell me how to do it naturally in the tutorial, so I didn't think about how to do this. So I had a little bit of trouble in my first couple of games until I went to go look at controls to find the buttons for these actual extra things I didn't think about because they weren't told me in the initial tutorial. See, I I had just as much trouble, if not more, although in my issue or my situation, Jess actually played the tutorial. Like I told you guys, my fiance was all over this beta. Uh, so she played the tutorial and I didn't get to. So I had no clue how anything worked when I first got on. So I was like asking her questions and stuff. Uh, but I had to look up some things, too. The one thing that I think could be changed by default is that in that game. See, and this is this is something I'm actually I want to talk about in a second as a separate aside. But it would be really nice if by default you did not have sprinting on. because. Sprinting in this game, they balanced it with noise, and nine times out of ten, the way that you catch someone moving towards you so you can kill them is because you can hear their loud footsteps as they sprint towards you. Now, I want to circle back around here and talk about why I like that in a way, and that's because in CSGO, there is no sprint. That was the most frustrating thing about the game for me, is that there is no sprint. And I'm like, man, they can tie it to a stamina bar, they can do whatever they need to do, but I want a sprint key. There's no sprint key in CSGO. In Valorant, you sprint by default, and if you hold shift, you walk quietly. So what I'd like is if your default was to walk quietly, and then you could hold shift to sprint and make more noise and go loud. I think that having that sprint in is a big, big mechanical boost, and I love it. But because you're set to sprint by default, if you don't realize that and you don't know that there's a walk key, you basically just run into death nonstop, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so I would like that to be switched by default. The other thing that I changed around personally is right click being a hold to aim instead of a toggle to aim. But that once again comes down to preference. I'm sure that more experienced players probably prefer the toggle, but I would rather just be able to hold it to pull my scope up. Well, yes, yeah, probably something because you missed the tutorial because your fiance took it. But yeah, they cover that in the that's one of the main things they took cover in the tutorial is the how like moving normally is you make a lot of noise and then if you hold the shift key to your walk and do less noise and crouching and stuff so but yeah i do i think some people probably would switch to being walking being their default and then having the shift key for the sprinting but it is a nice dynamic the sound in the game definitely adds a lot for kind of the like knowing like it's another level of gameplay added for trying to like figure out who's here where's people at um, abilities make the sounds from abilities sounds for on the maps like the different um, materials on the map make different sounds like there's there's a metal section on the map or there's like sand or there's like wood they all sound distinctly differently so if you're in like a point and you know like metals to the left woods to the right and you hear them like clink 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 you know they're probably coming from the direction where there's the metal parts of the map so it really adds a nice depth and kind of adds really to the gameplay of the like tactical defense kind of territory. I totally agree. You just touched on my favorite part of the game. The sound design in the game is stellar. It is absolutely 100% stellar. There are so many games that I play, folks, where I'll leave one headphone off, one earphone off my ear so that I can hear my fiance talk to me while I'm playing. This is one of the few games I've played where I'm like, just going to slip this back over my ear. And if she talks to me, I'll just nod and pretend that I heard her because I really need to hear the direction that they're coming from so that I can track them down. And I've noticed that if I don't do that, if I do take the earphone off, I just get wrecked a lot because you can't tell that they're coming from the right side. But the fact that they were able to get that great uh, sound balance in where you can actually use it to determine the location of people 
It's so good, guys. It's so good. And I know that they do the same thing in games like Overwatch and stuff, but in this, for whatever reason, I think it's because there's just no background noise. There's a lot less like voice lines and craziness like that. It just there's no fluff sound like you literally are just zoned in on the noise because you're like, what's going on? What is my situational awareness right now? What do I need to do? Uh, and it's it's so good. It's so good. And like, it's great because the abilities also have sound. So you can kind of prep for the abilities with that. But the other thing that we were talking about earlier, Game Goon, is that the abilities being costed with gold. I mean, you do have one that's not costed with gold, which is your ultimate ability. And that one you just kind of build up by gathering these orbs on the map, which is another great thing about vision control. I tend to drop vision right in front of an orb and then go snag an orb real early so that I can hit that ultimate ability. Uh, but the other abilities, they all have a money cost, which is really, really intriguing in a way because it means that if they ever run into like a severe balance issue and they just need a quick hotfix, they can just up the cost or lower the cost of the ability. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, the economy of the game's quite interesting. The way that ultimate abilities work is that you do get them from the orbs on the map, or I think you get an extra orb either if you get a kill or if you die, you get an orb. So that's how they kind of work on that end. And then the economy is pretty interesting. I think, I don't know, like I have no experience in CSGO, so I don't know exactly how, but I feel how I was playing my first couple of games yesterday that... Um, well, I feel basically every game or every round, I guess the weapon I get is pretty cheap, but every round I was able to, well, okay, let me preface this. I died a lot, and so a lot of times I did not get my abilities off, and so the way abilities work is that once you buy ability, unless you use the ability, you keep it round around unless you're going to the switch around where you switch sides. So, I would definitely have leftover abilities but i was always able to buy full shields or in the weapon i wanted for each round even when i lost in like games where we were kind of losing multiples in a row so i like the economy i don't know if it's maybe i don't know i guess i need to play some more to see how but i think the economy might be i don't know maybe a little bit too forgiving currently so i i have a sharp contrast to that in the first the the time that the economy really seems to weigh down because i i ran into situations where I had burned all of my abilities and I could not both buy my abilities back up and get the best weapon and the best armor. But in those cases, you just make some sacrifices. You either take a little bit lighter armor or you take a slightly less optimal weapon if you want your abilities or you just go for the weapon and armor and don't sweat your abilities as much. Uh, but I noticed the economy most in round one and two because in round one, you can basically upgrade to a silence pistol or an auto pistol if you want. Frankly, the base pistol is a functional weapon I had plenty of good times with on its own. But if you lose that first round without getting any kills yourself, then your economy in the second round is decent enough to buy stuff. But if you do that, you're basically if you do that and you have a bad second round, you're broke by the third round. So like that was the one strategy I was using yesterday was if I had a bad first round, then I would just save for the second round so that when I got into the third, I'd be able to buy something a little bit nicer. Uh, I think luckily yesterday, all I like every first round, my team won. So I didn't run into that. But I can see if like I had a bad first round that would probably obviously affect it. But yesterday we had all every first round I won. So I was obviously decent economy going into the further rounds. Um, also, what do you another thing that's kind of iteration and an uh, improvement on this game type is how 
there is a want and buy system in the shop for this. Like if you don't have enough money to buy an item or a gun, you can right click it in the shop screen and say you want this and they'll ping your teammates that say, hey, this person wants this gun and it shows how much it is. And if you have enough credits, you can just buy it and it gives them the gun straight away. Unlike in CSGO, where the person has to buy the gun and then toss it to you. And it kind of takes out a little bit of the kind of interaction of passing the gun to the person where you just give it to them straight away if you have the extra money. I think that's one of those natural evolutions of this genre that has been ignored for so long. And like, okay, so CSGO players are going to hate me for saying this. But I feel like CSGO has avoided evolving their game for years because everybody's just like, no, leave it like it is. It's all skill based. And that's a cop out because there are quality of life improvements that you can make that won't affect the skill just like that. That's a quality of life improvement. It saves you literally two seconds tossing the gun on the ground. It basically just pulls out an unnecessary motion. I don't see any problem with that. I think that's just an improvement on the genre straight upward. Which, you know, kudos kudos to Riot. I think that they've got a real Grand Slam winner on their hands here. And you were saying they, they killed it on Twitch. Yeah, the opening day, April 7th, they peak viewership peaked at, I think, 1.7 million viewers. I think it was the peak for the day, which is the second one of like the top three peak viewerships for any game on Twitch. I think just seeing that reported from a couple of other media outlets. And also speaking about the Cisco saying it hasn't ever evolved or anything. Just kind of stay in the base game. What do you think are the chances that maybe they do like, maybe they break it off. Kind of like it's coming to my mind. It's like thinking about how Starcraft is like we have Starcraft and Starcraft two. Starcraft two is obviously the sequel to Starcraft. And currently there's still tournaments for Starcraft one, like brood war, or whatever, where they in South Korea, where they just play the original base game. Do you think maybe the valve or the people behind CSGO would seeing the success of violent, maybe iterate on CSGO and make like a, different version of the game that's more up to date and more stuff and kind of have the two games going side by side or do you think they're just kind of stay in their market and keep it how they have it their niche locked down on kind of the skill set no like abilities just all based natural stuff I, I think that valve does two things very very badly now one of them is count to three and the other one is actually develop games um, and that, that's sad to say but valve hasn't really developed a promising new title in a long time the last thing they developed, I think, was Artifact, which people hated and kind of bombed horribly. So while I do think that that uh, Valorant has the I think Valorant is basically going to come in and snipe this market from them. I think that Valorant is going to step in and take a big chunk of CSGO's esports market and that there's not a whole lot they can do about it because at most they might develop CSGO a little bit more. But more than likely, they'll just stay passive and they'll keep sort of hiding behind that moniker of, but we are the skill-based core game that doesn't give you any of those cheesy tricks and mechanics. Um, which, you know, if they want to hide behind that, that's fine. There'll always be a market for that. There will always be a market for that because there'll always be people that believe that adding in mechanics takes away skill instead of realizing that adding in mechanics requires more skill because not only do you now have to account for the base mechanics of the game, you also have to account for the individual mechanics of each character, as well as team compositions, as well as strategy. Like, there's just so much more depth. And given Riot's experience with League of Legends and being able to turn that into a massive esports empire, 
I have no doubt that Valorant is just basically going to come in and steal CSGO's lunch money. It'll definitely have an impact on CSGO, but we'll see. You have to see how Valorant and how Riot will handle the esports scene for the game. Obviously, the first priority is getting the game into a good state to where they'll ship it. And also back on the Valve, Valve did recently release the Half-Life Alexa VR game, which has been getting pretty good reviews. So they've made that recently. But yeah, Valorant's definitely looking to be make a big splash once it comes out initially for launch. They Riot did say they're still aiming to hopefully still have their summer launch, but with the current epidemic we're in, we'll see if that they're still able to make that or maybe they'll push it back to later in the year. Okay, well maybe I stand or stand corrected on Valve. Uh, I, I would honestly think that it'd be a good thing if they released CS Evolution and and actually tried to compete with uh with Val or with Riot and Valorant. I just don't know that they'll be able to like Valorant is getting ready to release right now and it's different enough that it'll steal a market share from CSGO. I don't know that Valve has the reaction time, unless they've already begun working on it, to put out a CS evolution in time to regain that market share before it becomes very, very steeped in Riot. And that's one thing we have seen is that when Riot Game grabs a hold of fans, it tends to keep them. People do stick around. Like I <laughs> I go to like my local pizza place and pick up pizza and hear people talking about League Championship series. Like it's everywhere. And once it gets into your blood, like it's just there. You I will stop playing. I'll stop watching every once in a while, but I always end up coming back uh, like the recent 100 Thieves versus TSM game you and I were watching. I I always get drawn back to it because it's just so well done. It's so well produced. Uh, and there's they really have esports nailed down. And I, I think there's nothing but a bright future ahead for Valorant. Yeah, the game looks very promising and Riot is pretty good. They've only really been doing League of Legends, but with all these games coming out, we'll see how their esport programs evolve over the next coming years once we're kind of out of the pandemic we're in. But yeah, definitely Riot looks to be um, trying to grab a bigger share of the esports scene. We had some other things planned to talk about today, but uh, we ended up going really, really long on Valorant, which is an indicator of how much, at least for me, how much I enjoyed the game. So I think we're we're nearing the end of this one. So thank you as always, Game Goon, for joining me. It's been a pleasure. And until next week, gaming industry, GG.